Hi, I'm Dr. Ben Davis, and I took a left of the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith in unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an Coming at you from wherever your AC is, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I broke my finger, but on the other hand, I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) Joining me as usual is a team that realizes you have to be odd to be number one. True. Her workout plan is to look good with a Snapchat filter, Nancy. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) The millennial among us. And she watched Netflix for the first time, and she's seen Stranger Things. Yes. <laughs> it's the best show. Yes. It's Watch amazing. This. Her boss says she intimidates people, so she stared at him until he apologized. <laughs> yeah. Oh my Absolutely. god. That's so true though. <laughs> Guys, welcome back. And we have a guest in the studio with Woo-hoo! us. Hey, yeah. we got a friend of the show. This is Dominic. Hey Dominic, how you doing? Good yourself. Good, good. He's welcome. Not welcome. even a millennial. I know he's 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 a youngin. Yeah, it's a whippersnapper. He's a Padawan. I know it's great. Uh, he's too old to be Padawan. Excuse me. What <laughs> <laughs> do you know? You're a Sith anyway. <laughs> Dominic, would you be so kind to maybe introduce yourself a bit so briefly? Well, you're Dominic. You're thirteen. I... Oh come on. Well, you know, start with <laughs> don't go that way, Kevin. Don't go. That start way. with the basic. Well, as Kevin introduced me, I'm Dominic. I'm thirteen years old. No, and uh, you come you come from a Catholic background. He's, he comes from an Italian family. Yes. And uh, right now know. you're in your beginning to explore your journey throughout apostasy. That'd be correct? Sure. Let's go. Sure. I don't even that. know anymore. We're here to corrupt him. Yeah, I, was <laughs> just, I was just going to say a major corruption in process. I, I have a resume in corruption. Trust me. <laughs> you Perfect. do. And today we'll be talking to Anthony Magnabasco about street epistemology. It's going to be a great show. Yes. Yeah. But first, let's do our usual chit-chat. Okay. Well, I got a couple of good news. Um, Remember uh, Bernard Lamborghain that we interviewed a couple weeks ago? Yeah. Yeah. And his book, The Covenant? Yes. Well, Mm -hmm. I got in touch with our old friend, Arn Raw. (gasps) And then I got him to talk to Bernard, and they just had a show. He actually interviewed Bernard on his show. It's a really good podcast. I suggest you guys watch it. And... uh, great <laughs> yeah yeah awesome. i mean that, that seems like the perfect pairing you know of minds to yeah. just discuss that now i'm that trying topic. i'm trying to i'm trying to pair him now with uh with uh, robert and price but uh robert's a bit oh robert would be great yes too. he's yeah. a bit harder to get a hold of right yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, so far let's go for balnog he's doing he did a great show he did a great podcast with uh, with uh Arn raw mm-hmm. and i really suggest you go on his channel and look it up it was a very entertaining it was very insightful and a lot he went into much deeper than he did with us mm-hmm. so it's it's really good we probably had more time yeah as well yeah no, and, i, I and would then, imagine it would because um the research was so good yeah it, you know he really went into depth and Aaron is a stickler for for factual information and well-researched topics so i can yeah i'm going to listen to that one yeah absolutely sure. and then, then he, of course he sent us a tweet to thank us uh see if i can find it really quick here somebody yeah. thanked us 
Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he said, there you go. He says, uh, wow, just finished recording an episode of Raw Man with Arn Raw. I was intimidated by such a public figure, but found myself in the presence of the most generous, knowledgeable, and kind person. Mm. Which about Arn is about the, yeah. it's quite true. He says, yeah. what a treat. Thank you, Kevin and the LATV podcast for facilitating this. Oh, can we possibly put the link to that on, on our show so that our the listeners tweet? can do that? No, 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 I'm um, to the video. To the video? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, why not? Oh, we'll, great. We'll put, we'll, we'll put that Great. There. You bet. Because I want to go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now I want to. And in other news, uh, last week we had Dr. Ben Davis. We did. Oh, my gosh. Great guest. So amazing. Yes. Ben Davis was, we're having a lot of fun with Ben, and Ben uh, is also a good friend of our friend Robert Stanley. And uh, Ben confided to me this week. He said, you know, I had so much fun doing the podcast with you guys and with Robert. That now Ben Davis decided to do his own podcast. Yes. Oh. Yes. He will actually do scientific experiments oh my gosh, on the I'm podcast so and blow up stuff. Uh, oh, good. So There's explosions? There's probably going to be explosions involved. He actually got, yes. said, I just bought $2,000 worth of scientific equipment. His wife's not happy at him. Oh. <laughs> So, so now we've got Ask Dr. Ben, Watch Dr. Ben, and Listen to Dr. Ben. Exactly. Another, another notch on our corruption belt. <laughs> yeah. So as soon as that starts going up in the air, we'll actually let our listeners know so oh, you can I'm follow so Dr. Ben Davis. So excited. It's so interesting to follow our guests on other shows and other things that they do because we have such a wide range of, of people on our show and they're all fascinating and they all bring something yeah. to us. And it's so good for our audience to be able to think of us as a podcast family and just to you know to join in any of the conversations that are, are that start here or are part of mm-hmm. podcasts that end up here it's great i'm just glad that we have a bit of an impact that we can actually manage to get some of these people together oh, like yeah. Nog and Aaron Ryan and stuff like that oh, yeah. i'm just glad that we can help in that sense exactly so we're not doing this for fame or anything like that. We're doing it because we are so Canadian. <laughs> we, we, yes. really, yes, we, are. we really just want to talk to fun people. <laughs> it's, for, it's for our own game. It's because we're so boring that we like to, please give us something good. <laughs> okay, so now in the news. So did you guys hear that Sweden's crown jewels were actually stolen? Serious? Yes. Yeah. No. I know stuff about this. So, so this was at the Stragnes Cathedral, which is 80 kilometers west of Stockholm. Two thieves actually smashed a case in the daylight and and they escaped on bicycles. What? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and apparently they got into a boat. Yes, and after that they went to the waterfront and got, got into a speedboat. They stole two crowns and a royal orb. The, the crown belonged to King Charles IX from 1604 to 1611. And his consort was Christina and uh, they, he stole the, those crowns. Not, not this Christina. Another Christina. <gasps> hey, I'm Swedish. Yeah. I actually am. <laughs> So they're still at large. The more large. you know. <laughs> they're still at large. Uh, the, the crowns are impossible to sell, obviously. Uh, but the, uh, the, the authorities are afraid that you could, they might actually try to melt them. Break them yeah, break them up. And break them up. So uh, I, the, the question I have is, why the hell were these crown jewels in the cathedral of all places? <laughs> were they just, like, sitting there? And what was God doing? How come he wasn't oh watching gosh. this? Were they sitting on, you like, weighted pedestals that well, you could just, like, switch with a bag of sand? <laughs> the but in Sweden, they're civilized. Yes, true enough. You know, and I would imagine that they thought they're perfectly safe. And that was the first mistake they made. Well, but, but like, were there uh, any measures protecting them? Well, they, they were in a, they were in a case, no. in, oh, okay. in a, like a display case, and there probably was some security, but not enough to stop the guys from smashing it yeah. and do a smashing grab, essentially. I mean, if it's... Are, uh, people was... If there's security there, I don't understand why there's not 
armed police officers as well. Like well, I, like Nancy said, it's, it's Sweden. They're a bit more civilized. They don't feel they necessarily need to have an armed guard. More civilized. They don't necessarily feel they need an armed guard around every corner like no, the United and they, States. They may have had one of the... Um, what do you call it when when people pass through screening? Yeah. They might have oh. have had a screening where oh, you know okay. people's weapons are, you know are, are are taken from them or or screened before they they get there. That you know that's that's just the beginning of a wonderful movie it's because they're on bikes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the whole, of the whole story, the I like the fact eco friendly thieves. Yeah, eco friendly. <laughs> the thing is, in Sweden, getting on a bike, you'd blend in with everyone. <laughs> that's yeah. right. So yeah. everyone's on bikes. <laughs> The thieves got into a car? Well, there's like three cars left in the country. It shouldn't be too hard to find. Well, you know, and, and speaking of, you know, the, the fact that they're afraid they're going to break them up, it's also possible that they're going to some collector and they're going to stay there and be, you know, in somebody's vault. In some know. personal collection. Yeah, somewhere. some yeah. personal collection. They'll never well, find I kind of hope so it's, it's that way because I would, yeah, I would really hate to see that even though I have no tie to Sweden whatsoever, or, but no. to see something like that melting and I don't know, it's a piece of history nonetheless. Yeah, it's exactly. an artifact. Okay. To be continued. To be continued. To be continued. Moving on. Uh, did you guys hear that the Apple, the company Apple, their stock actually hit $1 yes. trillion? Dollars. Yes, I heard about this. <laughs> wow. It's pretty amazing for a company that, you know, is named after fruit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now there's stock. Also that makes horrible products. <laughs> so now their stock is I apparently worth, worth around $207.39 dollars a share, um, which of course gave them a market capitalization of $1.002 trillion, the oh, first whoa. company in the history of mankind to do so. And wow. uh, That's I impressive. checked the left of the valley stock, oh, well. and we're at negative five thousand. <laughs> we don't have That's a stock. good chunk of change. <laughs> good chunk of change. <laughs> The Boy. fact that stocks got brought into this is hilarious. <laughs> I wonder where they get most of their money from. Because I know it's Buying not, and selling. Well, because I know it's not from, like, their phone sales. Because they're, the, like, the third in, like, electronic sales. Yeah, but the so computer Buy low, sell yeah. high. Yeah. Um, Pope Frank declared that the death penalty is always inadmissible now. Mm. Because it attacks human dignity. Good. This is interesting because, mm. you know, the, 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 the Catholic Church has a history of not necessarily being against the death penalty. <laughs> um, really? He, he, he said that quoting the new dictate did not contradict the older one, but was an, quote, evolution of it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> At least he's working, getting workarounds. In the past, the Catholic Church was okay with the death penalty because they, they used the death penalty was a protection for the common good. But now Pope Frank says... No, there is no reason now for is the death penalty Frank whatsoever. Is Francis? It's Francis, but we call him Pope Francis. I thought you were going to oh. say because now there is, <laughs> no, really there is no longer common good. I, I don't know what Pope waiting, Frank. What is this? <laughs> so that's going to be interesting. Yeah. yeah, I wonder. I wonder how America will react. <laughs> no, I want to kill people. <laughs> America well. has a long history for actually going to the UN and opposing measures to stop uh, the death penalty. Yeah. That's stupid. I know. Well, it's an industry. <laughs> um, in uh, more Canadian news, uh, Ontario is uh, scrapping the Universal Basic Income Test Program. Uh, I, we I, I, I almost what? cried. I almost cried I cannot reading believe that, that because it was like, we're Canada. Yeah. This is something that could benefit the world. It, it, people have been praising this program i mean there's been some controversy of course but overall people have been using this as a baseline for perhaps eliminating 
uh, poverty, mm-hmm. or, or at least reducing it significantly, homelessness, you know, a way of giving people a, a hand up. It was just, it's remarkable to me. Is there any possibility that it can be reversed? Maybe with the next government. Yeah, but the thing is, because how long is it? How long has it been running already? Hasn't been running for that long. I don't have the exact date, but maybe a year or a so. Year, okay. I, so. I think a year, year and a half max. Now, so, of course, these pro- these people that were on that program, yeah. all of a sudden they're finding themselves kicked to the curb. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, and we people. Dominic, you know, are you familiar with the program? No. Okay, universal basic income is essentially where a government program gives you a monthly allowance, if you oh, wish. Oh, gives you money. Yeah, they give you money, uh, in 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 uh, to to keep you above the poverty level. All right. It's it's a, to think of it. It's not like welfare, but it's, it's kind of similar. But in exchange for that, uh, they take away, they feed it with welfare pro, uh, money, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm not explaining this right. Yeah, no, it's good. It gives people dignity and autonomy mm-hmm. because they don't have to go through a, a lot of times degrading procedures um, to prove that they're poor or to let other people know that bit by going to food banks mm-hmm. and things like that, it takes away the stigma of being poor. And then, and it, then once you begin to um, get money from employment or other places, then that sum is reduced. Yes, they, so that, they top you off. Right, so that then you're able to integrate into society however you can uh, uh, by making your living. But if you fall back, you're laid off, you have illness, whatever it is, then that amount is re, mm-hmm. uh, reestablished yeah. for you. And the money that you're getting goes back into your local economy, right. like immediately. Think exactly. about it this way. Let's say, for example, I'm going to use like basic numbers here for you to understand. It's not the real numbers. But let's say, for example, you, you make $6,000 a year, okay? Uh, and, and we decide that, let's say, for example, to, to consider yourself poor, you're going to make 10000 or less. Okay. So what the government is going to do is they're going to top off your six thousand dollars a year with the extra four thousand, so you don't fall into the poverty category. Kind of give you a okay. hand, uh, give you give you some some help. So trying to eliminate the poverty altogether. In, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's called universal basic income, and and it, there was a program in Ontario. There's also one in PEI, if I remember correctly. So why do you do cancel that. this? Well, the new the new government that came in decides to rule by ideology, and the, the worst part about this is. Um, this program was so starting, so new that they don't really have any data at exactly. this point. Exactly, this was the data to see collection. if it was working or not. They could have at least waited till that was done and then say, "No, it's not. Because, we don't like it." Because the thing is, by running this program, you might find out that this doesn't work, and then you'll know, okay, this isn't a viable option. Let's find another way to do yeah. something, get the results we want. So, social services sure. minister Lisa McLeod admits that the so-called progressive conservatives, I just love the way they need they, they need yeah. that party like that, uh, they broke their promise because they had promised not to do that during the election, but yeah. like most conservatives, as soon as they're in, they don't care. Nope. And, and the tables turn really now, quick. Now, 4,000 people that were low-income subjects that were actually part of the program are essentially kicked to the curb. Two-thirds of these subjects actually had a job uh-huh. or have a job. So these people were basically being, like we were giving the example there, kind of being just helped to stay above the poverty level. So it's not like they're bums. Well, 
I, I'm just wondering whether the poverty industry, and that means the bureaucrats that are part of social welfare and, and part of um, managing people's lives, it, it, it's a paternal kind of a system. I just wonder whether they got to her or that's the, they say, well, look, at we would, our jobs would be eliminated. And, um, you know, that that for some reason or another I think might so. have I think it's I think it's just ideology at this point. Yeah, it's this, just, is, this is exactly the, the same kind of playbook that uh, Donald Trump is using in the states. I don't care what Barack Obama did; just eliminate it, even if it's good. That's exactly what they're doing right now. I don't care what the previous government did; eliminate it, even if it's good. Yeah, but it's just it, it, it goes against it goes against everything that's good about humanity. Mm-hmm. It just makes people grovel, you know, to authority figures in order to get just the basics for them and their family, you know, where they can shop, what kind of foods they can have, what kind of housing. Everything is dictated for them because they have the, the, uh, the audacity to be poor and, yeah. and be a drag on society. And, and the fixes have been worse than being poor. Mm-hmm. It just, you can tell it's a little upsetting to me. Yeah. yeah. I'll stop now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And... Last but not least, did you guys hear just a couple of days ago, uh, a a man, a 20-year-old man in Kamloops barricaded himself at Denny's. Oh, I heard about this. What? So So, hold on. I got to put... (laughs) Go ahead. Yes. (laughs) So this man was at Denny's buying food. And when he got his bill, apparently he wasn't... He freaked freaked out about it. And he decided to barricade himself inside Denny's. The food ain't that great, apparently. (laughs) Apparently. Where apparently, when the RCMP showed up, everybody was left out. And he complied. He got out. But apparently, he got shot with a beanbag. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. The, the guy apparently, the, the staff left because apparently he was branching a knife at some point. Oh, yeah. And then he got outside, and then when the cop showed up, he went back inside yeah. and oh turned God. down all the bars and all that. And there was an 11-hour standoff for, for some bill at Denny's. Was it like $100? Or like, how expensive it was matter. it? It doesn't matter. It's ridiculous. Oh, my God. How, People, how did it, how did I don't it understand end? Them. I heard the beginning oh, of it. Oh, they were arrested. He was finally oh, he was arrested. arrested. Oh, yeah. He was <laughs> shot with a beanbag. Uh, at least it wasn't a bullet. <laughs> would you rather be shot with a beanbag that hurts or a bullet that potentially would kill you? B- beanbag. Pick, beanbag. Pick your sides here. I'm happy they went with the beanbag. Yeah, yeah. It was either that or get shot. Because it's in Canada. Those are the states. Be- it will depend. Is he white? It, uh, it, it depends what state they're in because most departments don't have gung-ho. I'm going to yeah. spend all this money to buy less than lethal and people are just going to buy... Well, he's just lucky he he was in the Denny's in Canada because it ended up a lot better than it would, not to mention some country that's just to the south of us. And I, and I, 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 was, and I was complaining that Denny's gave me indigestion. I mean, come on. <laughs> cough, cough, LAPD. <laughs> All right. Okay. Oh, Nancy, my dear, do you have a top ten for us? I do, and I think it's a, I think it's one of the best top tens that we've done so far. I think far. you see that every week. I know. Just keeps getting this better. One, this one, I think, is is even better than all of those. All right. Not that I have a tendency to hyperbole, but <laughs> here we go. This this top ten is. 
the most dangerous. Ooh. And it has 10 categories of the most dangerous things in the world. Ooh, yeah, Ooh my type of things. Countries yeah, to give birth in. Okay. America. So here we go. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here we go. What, and, and, and I'll ask I'll ask you and then I'll, I'll tell you. At number 10, what do you think is the most dangerous job in the oh, world? Oh, oh, oh. Police department. Oh, no, Alaskan no. crab fisherman. Oh, my gosh. I think Ooh, I know this. I got another one. I can't remember it. Never okay. mind. All right. The <laughs> most dangerous. National Guard? No. Mm, I'm here, thinking. This is, this is I'm a, thinking like minor. This is the total surprise. But when I tell you, you'll get it. The most dangerous Podcaster. job is being a reporter. Oh, yeah. oh no. okay, that yeah. makes a lot more sense. Yeah, so. you're going because into like it, it depends territory. on the the town they're in and the work area. And the interesting thing is that I printed this out before all of the things that were going on in, in the United States. Yeah. But when you think about reporters going to war zones and being embedded into uh, various uh, army or military um, uh, um, groups, yeah. they, they are. It's an extreme. They're getting shot out on a regular basis, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and and I mean, there are towns where there's corruption and criminality, and you know they're dealing mm-hmm. with people who are, um, you know, not always happy to see yeah. a, a, a journalist, you know, and, yeah. and a free. Well, especially free, when journalists are going for the truth, and go, people don't yeah. want you go going Trump for rally. the truth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's a, okay. Here we go. The most dangerous food in the world. Oh, um, something you choke Octopus. on. Denny's. Um, <laughs> Denny's, yeah. Popcorn. California Reaper pepper. Okay. The popcorn. most dangerous food is, and you'll 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 you'll, you'll get your, your memory back on this when I tell you. There's a fish called Blowfish. fugu fish. Fugu fish, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and the fugu fish um, is the poisonous? most dangerous because unless it's prepared correctly, it is poisonous. poisonous. Yeah. Okay, Absolutely. don't eat that. Yeah, between 1996. And 2006, 44 fatal accidents. So that makes the fugu fish, you know, and, and bad preparation. But I'm sure it's a deli- It's yeah. a delicacy in Japan, and it it's takes a- years to be a master chef to be able to prepare fugu. That's right. Mm-hmm. So if you see fugu on the menu at Denny's, I recommend... <laughs> not eating it. I recommend that this is not anything that... No Denny's fugu. Okay. Most dangerous city in the world. Oh, Los oh, Angeles. No, um, I'm thinking Mexico City. So, no, I'm thinking a South American Central. Um, oh, or we like North Korea. <laughs> That's pretty dangerous. No, um, there was one in. I'm thinking maybe like somewhere in like Ecuador. Why can I not think of it now? Christina's so close. The most dangerous city, Caracas, Venezuela. Oh, oh no. I was close, though. You were so <laughs> close. Yeah, high and, and, and people wonder why there's so many people well, fleeing yeah. those places. Yeah, but th- th- this is also, this is also uh, pr- predominantly uh, depends on the current events, right? Yeah. I mean, right now it's Caracas, but I mean, if there was a war that was going to explode, well, a resurgence of the war in Syria, for example, yeah. maybe that town would become... But the interest, I mean, the, the horrible statistics is that Caracas has a rate of 134, a little over 134,000 homicides per every 100,000 residents. Whoa. What? Whoa. So they're killing off people. How do they have a population? 
I don't know what the total population is, but that's 134,000 per every thousand residents. So this is a, a strange little statistic. Yeah, the, yeah but I don't. Be but what it, what it isn't telling you is the total population of of uh, the city. So true, true. I guess people keep coming into people. the city as they die, as they kill them off. They send a whole fresh batch in. I don't know. No, it wouldn't make more sense if there was like 134 killing per thousand residents. That, yeah. that, that would make more sense. It's a strange, it's a strange statistics, but it it's mostly due we'll to, to corruption and all judicial police and yeah. and poverty. Maybe that's because these people die spiritually first. Could, I think so. And then they die for real. <laughs> okay, the most dangerous mode of transport is motorcycle. Everybody's correct. Motorcycle. <laughs> that was an Speaking easy of one. Two traffic I, I feel that's like aimed at me for okay, some reason. Okay, motorcycle. Everybody look at Kevin. Despite I'm buying a bike when I'm older. Any mode of transport is dangerous, but um, motorcycles represent 1% of vehicles on the road, but they also account for 20% of road fatalities. Because so, they're assholes. <laughs> well, people no, can't drive. No, yes. no, so, also, also without naming names, we know people that need to be <laughs> yeah. extremely careful on the road so yes, that they yes. can, wear, are with us helmets. every week. I wear two helmets just to be sure. Yeah. Also, okay, am I the only one who sees people riding motorbikes with like shorts and t-shirts being like, you are an idiot. Yeah. I see that and people are complete idiots. I'm just it's like, leather you and jeans. are going to die. I, you know you what? Like I, I'll, I'll admit, like, I'll admit uh, that I have, I have ridden a motorcycle with a t-shirt. You're an idiot. Uh... No, no, well, you know what? When it's 40 degrees outside, you just put in the leather jacket on. Why would you uh, leave the house if it was 40 degrees? Because outside? sometimes you have to leave the house. Oh, man. Okay. Well, also, Only for short distances. I don't okay. do that for True. long. Okay, most dangerous disease is. Oh, Bombonic oh. plague. Um, no, um, the flu. Actually, well, malaria. it kills a lot of people. Malaria. malaria. It, it Ebola. Oh, malaria. But now, uh, the. Yeah. Uh, the now it's, I don't know how where the flu ranks, but the most dangerous in history was the Black Death. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The bubonic plague, that's what I said. Yeah. It Good was, job, person who's still in school. Of course yeah. you know that. <laughs> it, it also, just, I like medical stuff, so. Oh, hmm. fun. Yeah, it destroyed over 60% of the entire entire European mm-hmm. population. And it wasn't the rats, guys. It actually wasn't the rats. It was mosquitoes. Was yeah. the, it was, was people not washing their hands. It was the exactly. fleas on the rats, wasn't it? Yeah. No, no, it no. wasn't. Um, it was more likely... It was purely... Like, because rat fleas... Um, they, they've done studies and it wasn't the rats. I forget yeah, the it was actual a bacteria. Reason. I listened to Skeptic's Guide to it the was... Universe, guys, and they said it wasn't the rats. It's contact yeah. on contact. <laughs> yes, because so, like, people a door were handle. stupid and were like, let's hug this dead person. <laughs> yeah, it was... <laughs> Not necessarily. Yeah. It's more like... I'm infected. Yeah. I, I don't know I'm infected, I, so I'm going to go grab I puke on the floor. They don't actually clean the yeah. floor. So, so it was I a combination of several. Well, it was the yeah. 1350s, you know, and people were just not oriented yeah. to to be able to control things through science. Mm-hmm. And this is where witch doctors got and their names. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Okay, most dangerous road in the world. Ooh, Ooh. The Alaskan snow. <laughs> no, no, there's, there's a road in, I think, China that's 
freaking insane. It's like one lane on the side of this cliff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, one in Italy like that as well. Yeah. I can't remember. There's the a few name. of those. Yeah, and there are terrifying. some roads in, in India, Nepal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they do they do not compare, really? according to this list, with Youngest Road in Bolivia. Mm. It's the road to death. <laughs> that ought to prepare you. <laughs> it's one of the most dangerous things in the world because every year 300 people die there driving. It's characterized for being a thin line of 80 kilometers of gravel, which is 45,000 kilometers above sea level. Why so driving drive road challenges there? logic. Wow. It's gravel. Well, as long as it's not highway to hell. It's a thin, thin yeah. We'll have to look that up. You know, yeah. We'll have to take a look. At I wonder it. if that's the road I'm thinking of. That it's could like be. the one on the side. Because I've, I've seen more than one of those. Yeah. You There's might a lot be. The ones on the side. Yeah, yeah you might yeah. be thinking about that. I, I, I think when I was watching, I think, I don't know what it was in, but I think it was like on a YouTube video, like top 10, like most, dangerous, most dangerous roads. Top 10 most dangerous roads, yeah, I've yeah. seen that video. <laughs> yeah, I, it, but it's, it's amazing because I wouldn't have thought a Bolivian road. I was mm-hmm. thinking like it was in Asia. Okay, most dangerous. Now, this isn't history. This isn't like today in history the most dangerous dictator who do you think oh i want to say something um, so political oh my gosh i don't know names <laughs> Mao. Yeah, Mao's Mao's Mao. yeah yeah he he um, the number the number of people that stalin and hitler killed uh, was tremendous but mao decimated um, killed more than the two of them yeah. combined 78 Yikes. million whoa yep. yeah He's, he's one of the, the top ten most dangerous things, because even though he's dead, People he's a reminder crazy. of how dangerous a person yeah. is with the absolute power of a nation. I wonder why... Like, these dictators want to... Oh, I'm religious, so I'm going to kill out these people. Why yeah, There's a lot of stuff that goes into Eliminate, it. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's the only sure way of eliminating the competition and those mm. who might be a threat to power. Mm. And when you're dead, you can't hold a gun, you can't... Of, uh, in, the days of, in the days of Mao, Nancy was part of the resistance. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> because if you don't agree with them, then you are against them. That's, that's okay. where she gets her kung fu grip. There exactly. Mm. Okay, most dangerous insect. Mosquito. Mosquito. For sure. Everybody got that one. Fucking I was, mosquitoes. Yeah. Let's go. Just, yeah. Did you know? The, did you know that if they eliminate all um, malaria-killing ca- mosquitoes, if they just like kill them all, there's no impact on the environment? The, the I find mosquitoes are just tiny little bugs that want to go kill everything. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't. They wouldn't kill. It's just like there's only certain strand um, breeds of mosquitoes that can carry malaria. So if you kill off the malaria car- carrying ones, the other breeds or other species that like don't carry it will thrive more, and then it'll anything that ate the mosquitoes carrying yeah. malaria will be fine. They have they have the capacity <laughs> of injecting all to kinds of it, nath- nasty yeah. pathogens. Yeah. I, to, I to, me, to me, it's pretty this. clear that the mosquito represents the reason why there is no God, because exactly. <laughs> frankly, uh, <laughs> there's no purpose to that bug. There no, really isn't. The amazing thing is that mosquitoes, just mosquitoes, cause the death of about 725,000 people every That's insane. year. So that's uh, let's kill them all, guys. Well, it depends where. If you go, yeah, like, if you go to if you go to Winnipeg, they're, they're called skeeters. Winterpeg. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if, if, they're, they're, skeeters. They're, they're huge. If you leave your five year old kid alone, they'll just fly off with it. You know, <laughs> there's, there's a sad chance. Damn yeah. skeeters. <laughs> okay, here's, this is a fun. This is a fun one. What do you think is the most dangerous social media? Facebook. No Instagram. 
Oh, <laughs> my space. <laughs> um, okay, like, what? What is like the criteria? Like, I'm. What? What's the criteria they're basing this off of? Well, it's it's part. It, it's. It, it, I think that that really is a little misleading. Yeah, they, because the, which the answer is is a part of social media. It's the selfie. Oh, okay. and nobody would ever guess that. Because I was but, thinking like mm-hmm. social media site, but like, why but, is it the most? Oh, I know, because people try to take selfies in ridiculous places, that, like on yeah. the side of the Grand Canyon, and then, then they fall and die, idiots. I, I tell oh you, my gosh, they're so stupid. Yeah. And then the yeah, or like hanging off, or like hanging exactly. off their door, and then she's they like so fall in their bathroom, <laughs> and they fall and hit their head on like the it's toilet just bowl. She had like an extra dose of I've done that. I did. Well, she did because she had tea, and now she's having coffee. Yeah, she's we're gonna have to muzzle her so other people have this chance. <laughs> well, it's just so. Here's the deal: only about five people each year die from shark attacks, but twelve have been caused by attempting to take a selfie. Now, overall, that's not a whole lot. But when you think about, you know, yeah. people are putting themselves at risk because they now have this wonderful camera. So don't climb for posterity to the side of a cliff. <laughs> and try to lean out to get oh, the best that's selfie. Nothing. The, the worst, oh, the worst part is driving when, on the, oh, the worst road part in is Bolivia. When you, when you do, try, not, do not hang out <laughs> yes. the side of the truck. No, the worst Whoops. part is when you're trying to get a selfie with a shark. Okay. Exactly. So here we go. Well, you can do it one. in an aquarium. Everybody's going to get this one. I'm probably giving you everybody's going to get this one. The most dangerous animal in the world is... Humans. There. Oh, I got it. I was, there we go. I was thinking about like five other things, like that could be sharks, cobras, like something. Oh, and the that, second is uh, probably mosquitoes. The, <laughs> the average rate of homicide across the globe is 6.2 people per 100,000 residents. So this is like 437,000 people, and that that's how many were murdered in, in 2012, wow. so just about that. So we're killing each other off faster than nature can replace Well, I mean, it's quite profitable. You're an assassin for hire. You've been doing this for a long <laughs> exactly. time. Well, I've been in the business for a long yeah. time. At least you have a, pro- you have a target, exactly. a purpose. You know? Yeah, but isn't that a funny, isn't that a really great top 10? I yes. love it. The most dangerous. I loved it. 10 yeah. out of 10, top 10. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Excellent. And if we had a prize, you know, Christina yes. would get the prize and the rest of us <laughs> would... <laughs> kill her off because we're all <laughs> run as the most dangerous people <laughs> no christina great yeah congratulations you did well we all did well it's just because i interrupt everyone's yeah. they don't have a chance to get in yeah, that's that really was fun try playing a trivia game with her oh especially <laughs> if it's harry potter trivia oh we need to go on Harry Potter trivia then. <gasps> I would be you. Are you hey, sure about yes. this? Okay, well, yes. moving on. Unequivocally, I would guys, win. Tina. <laughs> gotta read you guys back make, in. I will make Kevin turn off your mic. <laughs> then I'll use yours. So <laughs> for another brilliant moment. <laughs> yes, it is. Brought to you by religion. <laughs> yes. All right. Now, if you remember, last month, Florida-based prophetess cat care boldly took authority over subtropical storm alberto and hawaii's kilauea volcano yep ordering failure ordering them both in the name of jesus to cease causing any damage and it failed it (laughs) It failed so now 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 
she is commanding the wildfires raging in California to stop. Oh, wow. I'm so glad. So that does she just keep so hitting much, until she doesn't miss? Already. Does she just keep swinging until she hits? It's like the kids with the pinata with pinatas on YouTube. Wow. <laughs> hey, you keep swinging until you hit you. something. And <laughs> hopefully it's not someone else's head. Oh, <laughs> uh, so we take power over all of the power of the enemy controlling the fires in California, she declared in a video she posted on her Facebook page <laughs> last week. We take power over all the power of the demonic that is controlling and ruling in the situation. So she thinks demons are controlling the fires. And we command, as commanders, like Christ commanded the host, we take authority over the situation and we command the host of heaven to go now to California right now and begin to put out those to put those fires out. I, I Doesn't wonder, it make sense? I, w- I want that on a t-shirt. I like that one. <laughs> I wonder if she realizes that, like... This is a, um, what is it called? An act of God? Like, oh. forest fires are considered acts of God. Yeah. <laughs> to us sane people, maybe. The forest fires are the easiest to pass off as an act of Satan. <laughs> True, because Satan is the leader of hell. <laughs> Apparently. We take authority over the weather system and we command a low pressure system to come in right now to bring the rain, she continued. We command a low pressure system to begin to form in the area of California where the fires are burning up God's property. And we say, no more, no more in Jesus' name. We are stopping these fires today. So <laughs> is, she, is she actually going to California so that her, the full power of her presence will take over? Or is she doing it long distance where it's going to take a while? I, I just... I, I love the idea of like these little demons, like cows fur style demons in the forest. Fires. Well, like, oh, guys, guys, did you hear? There's this lady. She like commanded us to stop. We have to just stop, guys. She said we have to stop. Except Calcifer <laughs> would be like, no. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still laughing at Nancy's joke. It's long distance, so it's going to take a while for the power to act. It's just probably how she's going to look at this. Oh well. <laughs> like, it were, it's it's like it's like the dude a couple of years ago who like got ever he he fasted or something and then for yeah. like a month and then Did like like it does every year the rains came because every year they do and he's like see God works it's like you're an idiot. We command the fires to begin to diminish, Kara added. It will literally begin to diminish. They will report on the news. The fires are diminishing. We don't understand. We don't know how this can happen. This is not normal. <laughs> you know what? We are not normal people living on this earth. We are supernatural sons and daughters of God. And we are going to keep commanding that low pressure system to come and to bring the rain and the rain to come and to help put those fires out. They will go no further in Jesus' name. I think you should and check her. And there goes 5,000 people's homes. I think <laughs> it's, it's almost 10 now. I Carson, think you should, you're, you're, ready, you're ready to go on a road trip with this. You got the power, girl. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should Amen. check her. She Amen. Should check her. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I, I think she should check her blood pressure. Hallelujah. <laughs> Yeah. I think the low pressure is right there. If she needs a, an assistant, I'm sending no, no, a resume. No, no, you're the hype lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, One day I'm going to come back and I'll get you guys a t-shirt with a cartoony version of a swishy baby. Oh, swishy lady. And she has to have pink hair. I would just I would just put that on a t-shirt, swishy lady. Well, yes. I, I have, I've got a question. Could atheist power be a contender? You know, to top the swishy lady. I mean, could I don't know. could this could 
We do have demon We've power. We've never really talked about atheist power. Yeah, we do have demon power, right? Yeah. yeah well, Satan loves us, so why wouldn't he? Yeah, <laughs> he, and he apparently controls the world right now, so I guess well, we're Well, he's hanging out up here right now, <laughs> apparently. Hey, I hey, mean, if we had atheist... That's not a good way to talk about Dominic. He's a kid. Come on. <laughs> If, if we combine atheist Are you sure power, about this, Kevin? Oh, he's really an eternal being. If we combine atheist <laughs> da, da, da. power with the swishy lady power, there's no stopping us. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're just, you know... Infinity we, War we can dominate the world. Oh. Too soon, man. Too soon. <laughs> I'm the new guy here. Why am I getting picked on? Don't worry, everyone gets picked Kevin's on. just trying to deflect it from himself this time. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Ouch! <laughs> and inexplicably... <laughs> Despite her commands, the fires continue to spread. No shit. No shit, Sherlock. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. But it's not over yet. It may be the long distance factor. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. It's a ripple effect. Who knows? In like a month effect. and a half, it might diminish. <laughs> month and a half of fire. Once everything's burnt, stuff you know? together. Exactly. Ready for the next one, guys? Here we go. Back in June, our favorite prophetess told an audience that she had met Jesus, that he was six feet tall and very handsome, had a mansion, and loved dancing and desserts. Do you remember? Yep. And somehow, her claims just got more bizarre. Oh, please. That's right. Go. Two swishy lady stories in one another brilliant moment. Swishy lady, back oh, at it again. <laughs> Over the weekend, Care spoke to the Elevation Rise Up Conference in Tennessee, where she explained that God had an alpaca. <laughs> a pet unicorn? <gasps> it's so much better! What, is he Irish? Because the oh unicorn's the... Does it poop rainbows? <laughs> a pet oh unicorn? <laughs> you know, I, I went and bought some Lucky Charms just because you guys said there was a unicorn. I know. Barking. They gave me Lucky Charms. <laughs> I did actually buy Lucky Charms. <laughs> Are you the serious? It, they have unicorns in them now. Yeah. Yes. So Jesus has a pet unicorn. The Irish is taking over. What do they name it? Is it named gay? <laughs> I just started talking about God and how much he loved, how much he talked about horses in the Bible. By the way, it's one of his favorite creatures he made. And by the way, he has a unicorn. Oh. <laughs> There's too many by the but ways in that a sentence. A unicorn isn't a horse. It's actually more goat-like. Hold on. Hold well, on. It's, got to, <laughs> it's got to be named Horny. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. I mean, come on. Oh my god, that was This perfect. show has been taking a dive into the ditch today. Thanks hey, god. people love it. We're fun. We're going yeah. downhill from people, here, boys. People need fun right now because the oh. world is horrible. Just wait. It gets I mean, it's, better. It's it so gets obvious. I'm better. not in the ditch. It's obvious. It is obvious. <laughs> Father has a unicorn. Jesus has a horse named Lightning. Holy Spirit has one named Thunder. Lightning has fire coming out of his nostrils. He's got a rainbow mane on him, but the father has the unicorn, and they're mentioned nine times in the Bible. They are, unless you found a new translation that has removed it. What? Uh, what? Uh, what are people is, on? Is the black horse that breathes fire black? Does he have, like, a demonic horse? It would fit. May I just ask what people have taken these days that have made ecstasy. them go absolutely... It's called ecstasy. Not <laughs> even. 
I don't know, but I'm going to start taking it because compared to Swishy Lady, we live in such a boring world. <laughs> there's, there's nothing going on in our life that can compare with yeah. what goes on with Anybody want to know the science behind a unicorn? It's actually really interesting. No. Yes, please. They're go- okay, so there's some goats who get mutations where their horns, because goats have like two horns on the side of their head. Mm-hmm. Some mutations, they go together and they twist. That's why in old uh, pictures of them, they look like goats with a single twisted corn. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. You, they're, they're actually, yeah, you can find goats with the yeah. corn. Yeah, this, they're unicorns. This, this show has just taken a... Hey, a dive information to- <laughs> is important. Oh, come on. Tell me that didn't brighten your day. <laughs> unicorns are real. Kevin's killing himself laughing over there. always brighten our day with... with uh, <laughs> And a, a brilliant moment. And two for one. Uh, two for one. Two for one. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, if we could, if there's some way we could have her on our I don't podcast, think she would. She'd it never come and we'd never, we, we, we'd How never What kind of a show would it be? We couldn't possibly take a serious interview with her. No, we, we couldn't. just laugh it. all the way. I know. We couldn't make our way through we it. But. No, no. We, we would all be do, dead laughing. What we'll have to do is there are podcasts out there that like interview crazy people in like a serious manner we'll have to get her on one of those define crazy people uh flat earthers uh vaccine maybe we could ask robert stanley to do that for us robert if you're listening (laughs) go get cat curry exactly that would just Uh, i owe you that would make my day the earth is flat all right sure it is all right guys thank you so much for this Oh, fantastic. So let's quickly go to commercial, and when we come back, we'll have Anthony Magnabasco. So stay I'm with excited. us. Woohoo! Interested in a particular topic? You ever wonder where we find all this information? The Common Sense Canadian is a forum for critical discussion of the key issues shaping our world today water, energy, food security, and how we manage our resources to the public benefit while preserving our environment. So go to commonsensecanadian.ca. It's uncommonly sensible. If your skepticism is socially conscious and doesn't take itself too seriously, you might like life, the universe, and everything else. Great comfort, his big stumper was literally which came first, the chicken or the egg? A lot of the interviews took place in front of a building that said liberal arts. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing that they're not all science majors. (laughs) Life, the universe, and everything else. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else. I don't know, Zoom? Is that still a thing? To the grown-ups, if you want to 
deny evolution and live in your world that's completely inconsistent with everything we observe in the universe, that's fine. But don't make your kids do it, because we need them. We need scientifically literate voters and taxpayers for the future. We need people that can, uh, we need engineers that can build stuff, solve problems. Online is the apostle, the main apostle of street epistemology. His videos have been making a huge impact all over the place. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Anthony Magnabasco, thank you so much for joining us at Left of the Valley. It's really nice to be here, but those last two things are not true. I am either a good dancer or a snazzy dresser. Oh, I don't know. I've seen you dance, man. Oh, gosh. Though, though, as we have to amend a few times, we are white, so we're not always the best judge of dancing. <laughs> I will give him the same advice I gave uh, Ben Davis last week. Just If you have a problem with that, just imagine you're a big strip of bacon, and the, the dance floor is a big skillet, really hot plate, and you could just sizzle. Well, dancing is not is, pretty. That's right. And, and just remember, this is a podcast, so dancing and snazzy dancer can be anything anybody wants to make it. Mm-hmm. So you're okay. Well, thank you so much for inviting me on your show. I've listened to a couple of your episodes. I think you had Peter Bogosian on at least once. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Peter's do, a good friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do recall listening to that and being uh, very, very excited about the discussion. And I really enjoyed the banter that you guys had as well. So I'm, I'm very uh, pleased to be here. Thanks it's, for having me. It's the one positive thing about our show, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's the back and forth. Anthony, you're very popular down south in the United States. You might not be as well known north of the 49th. Maybe you'd be so kind to give us a uh, good bio as to who Anthony Magnabasco is. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we need to change that. <laughs> well, let's see. Well, Anthony Magnabasco is basically a stay-at-home dad who has uh, had horrible conversations with believers, arguing with them presenting them with facts, ridiculing even, and then scratching my head afterwards wondering, well, why did that go wrong? <laughs> but then I did discover the, the book by Peter Bogosian, A Manual for Creating Atheists, mm-hmm. and I read it, and he talks about street epistemology and, and proposing this better way of having talks with people where you can really challenge what they're claiming is true in a way where they don't typically shut down, and they tend to enjoy the conversation too. So mm-hmm. I I read the book. I went out and started having talks, and I started recording them, putting them on YouTube. People started noticing, giving me feedback, and I've been trying to perfect the technique ever since. Uh, I'm going on, I think in December, it'll be six years of me going wow. out and having these kinds of talks. Whoa. Impressive. Yeah, your, your, your video series has a, a, huge, a huge catalog of videos of people of all different walks of life, and I'm quite impressed how you always approach them in a very non-confrontational way. Mm. So maybe you'd be so kind to explain maybe briefly your techniques there. Well, sure. So just to be clear, when you are using Bogosian's method of street epistemology, you do not have to initiate talks on the street with a camera. That's what I do. But it doesn't mean that you have to do that. What I do is uh, is somewhat abnormal, I would say. Most people who are using street epistemology wait for somebody to make a claim and then they just organically engage in conversation with them. I initiate a talk. I, I will stand out at a park or a university, and I have a little whiteboard and a timer and a little marker, and I just ask people, hey, do you have five minutes to chat about a deeply held belief? I like to encourage them to pick the topic, 
I like to keep the talks really short, so I'm not taking their time. I these days I even encourage people uh, to to question me after the fact if they want. So it's a it, it tends to be a really good exploration of a person's belief without causing them to be too defensive. Mm-hmm. Nice. I, Anthony, is it is it um, is it okay to maybe say that in a way you might be a purveyor of doubt? I think that's a really good way of framing it because when we engage in street epistemology, we are challenging the person's process that they use to arrive at their conclusion. And what typically tends to happen is that a person starts to realize that perhaps the process that they used is not as reliable as they thought it was at the start of the talk. Mm-hmm. So that people do usually tend to walk away questioning things, perhaps even doubting. And sometimes if they if they really struggle to find a good justification for the beliefs that they have, they may even abandon their beliefs. So I do that I do think that is a pretty fair characterization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm going to leave the floor to Dominic because he's been looking very forward to meeting you and asking you a few questions. Dominic, ask him a question, man. So, Anthony, is this a hobby for you or is this just something you do like every two days or something? I do call it a hobby mainly because I'm not drawing any income from it. Um, It's not the main focus of my life. My my main job, I guess you could say, is is being a stay-at-home dad taking out the trash, uh, watering the plants, doing the laundry, taking the kids to school, helping them with their homework, getting them to sports, uh, taking a, a sick parent maybe to the hospital, that type of thing. So that's my primary focus. But if I see good weather and I have a little bit of time, I will try to grab my cameras and rush out and do a few talks. So I would love to go out every couple of days, but typically – I would say a good two weeks might pass before I might see an opportunity to go out for five hours and, and have these chats. Mm-hmm. I, I do introduce myself as partaking in a hobby, although I don't know if that's the best descriptor of it. I'm, I'm kind of bordering on vocation at this point mm-hmm. because I am so in love with the process mm-hmm. of having the chats. Now, you do you, most of your talks like that uh, on a face-to-face with, with a person. Do you think these techniques that you were... Uh, using from Peter Bogosian also work very well on social media, for example. You can certainly use street epistemology over social media. However, and, and I've done that, but it is, it is it's more challenging. My preference would be to do a face-to-face chat, uh, whether it's in person or over a video chat or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly if other people can observe the conversation, like if it's on your Facebook wall, and 400 other people can observe the conversation, more than likely people will jump in and try to derail it, yeah. intentionally or not. Yeah. So, so face-to-face, in my view, is far better. Mm-hmm. However, if you're interested in getting to do face-to-face talks, starting out on social media is a really great way of getting your feet wet. Also, I guess it keeps the conversation more civil. Face-to-face, people are less likely to call you an asshole. Yeah. Well, maybe not in my case, but I mean, <laughs> normally. Just be speaking the truth in your case. <laughs> the comments of Christina are not necessarily those of Left of the Valley, subsidiaries, employees. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and, and lately you've been branching out and doing seminars. Is that something that you want to expand? Do you find that to be um, something that is a good, is, is a good um um, I was going to say medium for you to be able to expand the use of street epistemology. 
I mean, hopefully you are going. I mean, I'm. Uh, hopefully you are going to going to expand it. So I'm a little biased in asking in asking that question. <laughs> Right. So I'll often upload examples of conversations that I've had with strangers on the street. In fact, I just uploaded one yesterday. And in addition to that, I've been going across, well, across the world, really, to give workshops and presentations. Sometimes people just want a presentation. Other times they want a a little bit of a mix. Let's spend 15 minutes talking about what street epistemology is. And then let's spend the other half of the of the uh, another 50 minutes, for example, doing some hands-on workshop training. Mm. So I've been experimenting with both. And the thing is, it's it's a little difficult to keep racing all over the place doing this. So I'm trying to get to the point now where if I give a talk or a workshop, I'm uploading those videos of me doing that so that other people can mimic it. I, I even make the materials available. And what's neat is seeing other people grab it, modify it a little bit, and then give a talk in some city that I just really would never have the time Mm -hmm. to go to Mm -hmm. and give the talk and conduct the workshop there. So that I think is probably a more efficient use of my time is develop materials, you know, modeling it so that people can see what's happening, but then give the materials to people so they can just take it on with it. Mm -hmm. And do you get feedback from the workshop so that people will tell you, yes, we tried this or questions come up so that you um, feel at some point you know what you're doing needs to be modified or do people feel that that the instructions that they get are um, are, are good good to use as, as they are oh that's a good question so when i first started doing workshops i think i conducted 10 of them before i even made any of my materials online so i was getting feedback post workshop right then and there before i'd even fly back and then incorporate it to the next one so the materials that are online now have been pretty heavy-duty tested, I suppose. Um, recently, I gathered a group of 20 or so people from all over the world who expressed an interest in doing a workshop in their area, and I conducted two Google Hangouts with them where I explained how a workshop typically goes, and they were giving me feedback right then and there as far as what they thought of the materials. Mm-hmm. And then after they gave their workshops, they were sharing their feedback with the other group of people, including myself. Uh, so that, I think you're right. Like that kind of feedback on improving the materials is really crucial to making sure that it's a valuable exercise for people. Mm, excellent. I have one more question for you here. Could you use yeah. street epistemology in a classroom discussion? Was was the question could I? Yeah. Or yes. do it? the question was could you use a, a street epistemology in a classroom discussion in a classroom setting? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, In fact, somebody was live streaming from Facebook, I think, once where a professor was giving a talk about something how faith was rational, something like that. And he was broadcasting from a college university classroom and he raised his hand and asked a great street epistemology question. And there were there were a couple of spider moments and I don't know. And I think I'm gonna have to get back to you on that, that type of thing. And the other students observing that could benefit from that exchange, not to mention all the people who are watching it live. So absolutely, there's there's no reason why you can't put these types of questions into a classroom setting or if you happen to find yourself a taxi or something, the driver makes a claim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really can't think of any situation where you might not entertain the idea of doing it, except maybe a funeral or something where yeah. you just want to <laughs> let kind of have their beliefs and not rile anybody up. Although these questions don't pile people up. There might be a time and place for that, I suppose. But generally speaking, I would say 
this approach can fit in really, really well because it's polite. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you know, I, I just realized something that we're all talking about street epistemology because we are, we're all aware of it. But some of our <laughs> audience actually might not be aware of yeah. what street epistemology is. So maybe we should go back just a, just a tad here. Maybe we should let you explain. Can you give us a good definition of what you feel street epistemology is? Yeah, uh, we even have a few definitions on the street epistemology website, but I'll take a crack at it. It's essentially a dialogue where you're asking questions to explore with a person how they concluded what they think is true is really true. Mm-hmm. So we spent a little time exploring what the person believes and their justifications. But when it really comes down to it, it's the method they used to conclude that those justifications were sound. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what these questions are really so good at exploring. Did you use a reliable process to get there? So when we're using street epistemology, we resist the urge to ridicule provide facts, point out consistencies where they're wrong. We want to ask questions for the person that we're speaking with to discover that on their own. And when you approach these sensitive topics in that way, that is where I think something very, very special happens. That's where a person, they slow down. They really think about what they're about to say. And they tend to back off on their certainty of their claims, which is really fantastic. It's fascinating to watch a total stranger after a 10 or 15 minute chat event start to express some signs of doubt, some signs of questions, some uneasiness with the position that they have, that they asserted at the start of the conversation that they were very sure is true. So that's street epistemology in a nutshell. I can go deeper if you'd like, but I made that might be sort of like a high explanation of what it is. Well, Anthony, can can you give us an example playing both parts so that you can see how you initiate and what a typical yeah. response could be, yeah. and then how you drive that conversation forward? Yeah, I think, I think uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah, we'll, we'll let Anthony do that. But I think I just want to highlight a point here um, because I think a lot of us make that mistake uh, when somebody comes in with a claim and says, "Oh, well, you know, claim X," and we have a tendency to say, "No, you're wrong." Because ABC, uh, Anthony, mm-hmm. Anthony, what Anthony's doing is saying, okay, well, why do you feel that you're correct in that sense? Why do you feel that your claim is, 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 that, is that's what he's exploring, as the why, not as to the uh, why you're wrong, but as to why you feel you're right. And I think that's a very challenging thing for most of us. So, uh, yes, uh, most of that is, is spot on. We do want to ask questions to explore what they believe and why, and it's that how that's so important. The idea of saying, excuse me, sir, I have this detailed report that shows that you're mistaken. If you present people with that evidence, most people, especially if they're very tied and in love with their belief, their views that they hold, they will more than likely discount the evidence that you're giving to them. It will probably shut them down and cause them to be defensive. Mm -hmm. But when you go about it by asking questions and having them explain everything to you, that's where people tend to realize how little they actually know about the process they used to get there. Anthony, would you be so kind maybe to give us a scenario of a typical conversation you have with your your people in the street there? So there, there are various ways that people can go about doing street epistemology. I prefer to go out on the street and initiate chats, ask a person to select a belief that they really think is true, uh, helping them feel comfortable because – 
that that's somewhat of a hurdle to overcome if you plan on recording it with a stranger. They don't know you. Why on earth would I want to share my deepest, darkest beliefs with some stranger who's recording me? So there, there is a little bit of a hurdle there at the start. But generally, once once people settle down and they understand what's happening during these talks, once people settle down and they understand what's happening during these talks, the typical path that I like to follow, and this isn't something that I did on day one. This is sort of something that just came to me over time. I started recognizing that I'm somewhat interested in what they believe. So if they believe in a God, they would define that word. They might provide a level of confidence, uh, let's say on a scale from zero to 100, that they think that it's true. I am also interested in their, their reasons, their justifications, the why. What's the main reason why you think that this is true? So they might say, well, I think my God is real because it says so in this book called the Bible. Great. Now we have a justification. You might also want to confirm that it really is the justification. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes people will say, I believe it because there are no contradictions in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And then if you ask them, well, if you were to discover a contradiction and it was a contradiction to your satisfaction. There was no ambiguity about it. Mm-hmm. Would it lower your confidence at all that the God existed? More than likely, they're going to say no. I'll st- yeah. uh, that, that would not affect me one way or the other. So make sure that the reason that a, put, that a person is putting forward is really a justification that would actually cause them to lower their confidence if they discovered that it was baseless yeah. you know it, that it was a not not really a good reason so once you've identified their main reasons then you want to get into the methodology or the how that's sort of that third lower how level how did you determine that the bible is a source of truth those questions are much more difficult to to explain they're much more difficult to defend so a person might res- respond and say well I was always taught this as a kid. I I just know it to be true because my grandmother and my mother, who love me very much, taught this to me. And they, they wouldn't teach me something that's not true, would they? So you can start identifying the method that a person is using to conclude that these things are true. Sometimes, well, actually quite a lot, when it's a supernatural belief, people tend to raise faith as their method for concluding that something is true. If you get to that level, you're very close to helping them realize that they probably built this belief on a faulty foundation. Ask them what their definition of that word is. Ask them if they could use that method to arrive at completely different conclusions. Give them time to think about their answers. Don't overwhelm them. Sometimes people don't don't really spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. And just you asking them what they mean by God can throw people. So it's very important that you move at a speed that they're comfortable w- at going at. Mm-hmm. Do, you don't want to overwhelm a person. So that that's sort of street epistemology in a nutshell with a God claim. So so what do you do when you because I'm sure many of us have fallen into that uh, that category when they say uh, well uh, I, I I feel it. Well, what do you answer if somebody says I feel it in my heart? I feel this. I feel mm. God's love or something like that. Yes, feelings come up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So I I wouldn't discount that they're feeling something. They more than likely are feeling something. The question is. Are feelings a reliable way to come to believe that something is true? So I might then ask them, are you using feelings to conclude other things are true? If you were on a jury and uh, let's say you, you were being tried for murder, for example, and you know that you didn't do the crime, would you want the jury to be selected to go off of feelings or to go, or to go off of something else? Oh, that's good. That's good. I like that. So 
the idea here is not to tell them, do you, do you not realize how unreliable feelings are? The idea here is to ask questions to help them discover these things on their own. Now, they may be able to justify the feelings that they have. Like, perhaps there is some way to justify the reliability of feelings. But you need to give them that opportunity to explain it and to discover this on their own. Mm-hmm. So, this, so, so this technique is actually, we have a tendency to use it on theists, but it's something that we can apply to ourselves, to our own set of beliefs. Unless we oh, absolutely. have something that's concrete. Yeah, in fact, the, 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 the example that I just gave you there about feelings... I used that jury example with a woman who is atheist who said that she had a soul and the way that she concluded that was the what, the, that was her belief, right? That was her claim. Why she thought that it was true is what was – I think she said – well, I think we just jumped right to her methodology. She had a feeling that it was actually true. So then I used the, the jury example. So yes, just because you don't believe in a god doesn't mean that this method isn't for you. Uh, I, I want people – I want everyone to learn this method and apply it to all sorts of different claims. It's not just for engaging with God believers about why they think their God is real. Yeah. Unless you have something that's extremely concrete. Like, for example, I, I happen to be a mythicist about the history of Jesus. But the reason I know that is because Nancy was there. <laughs> Nancy, Nancy's yes. a wandering Jew of legend. She was an actual witness, and I, there was no such thing, right? I am, I am an eyewitness to history for at least the last five thousand years that I'll admit to, because I'm still, I'm still a little, a little embarrassed about my age. <laughs> I was going to say at the start of the conversation, Nancy mentioned that she was old, but I had no idea. Yeah. Well, she's, she's a wandering Jew of legend, my friend. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. She's, she was, was there for there. all of it. That's right. I'm I'm the standard by which everything is yes, everything right. in history is judged in terms of its veracity. The Jewish calendar was based on their birthday. Yeah. You know, I know we're joking anyway, around but here, we, but, it, but we digress. <laughs> I know we're joking around here, but it's it's not uncommon for somebody to say, "Listen, I have evidence that backs up this claim, whether it's my God existing or that I have a soul or that karma is real, uh, or or they think their God, you know, their God exists because." they have evidence that shows that the earth is very young. Mm. Some people do think that they have evidence. However, when you start asking questions to explore the validity of the evidence that they have, it tends to fall away. Uh, In fact, sometimes even a simple question of, would you still be just as confident that your God was real if you discovered that the earth was not 6,000 years old, that, that this really is an old earth? And more than likely, they're going to say, oh, yeah, I'd still believe it with with just as much confidence. Mm -hmm. If that happens, move on to the lower level. There's something else propping up that belief than their view that the Earth is young. Okay, so so let's let's do a quick scenario here real quick. Mm -hmm. You came to me. I'm a young Earth creationist. And you, you say, you know, and I tell you, yeah, it's a, it's a young Earth. And I give you, of course, I've got evidence. They found uh, fossil trilobites on top of Everest. Right. How would you tackle such a, a, an answer? One of the first things I would do is ask them if that's really the main reason why, kind of like using the, the example that I just gave. If we were to discover that there really weren't fossils found up there or there was some reasonable justification, reasonable explanation for them being there to your satisfaction that even you would find convincing, would it affect your confidence at all? Sometimes people do say, you know, if if – if that could be explained to my satisfaction, I think I would lower my confidence in this belief that this God is real. Okay. You need to be prepared for that. It doesn't mean the conversation's over and street epistemology is, ceases to exist. You need to then shift to, well, what evidence would you accept? 
See, that's yeah. interesting. Was, that's interesting because yeah. my, my first reaction, to, if I was to put myself in the other shoes all of a sudden, my first reaction was to say, well, of course there are fossils on top of Everest because of tectonic plate know, movements, and et cetera, et cetera. And that's what's so tempting. We think, oh, I know the exact article I need exactly. to send this person. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. You'll be wasting your time more yeah. than likely. Get buy-in first. But before you even pro- provide anyone with evidence that shows they're, that they're mistaken, you need to ask them what evidence they would accept. Yes. Okay. And if it's sufficient and it's reason and if it's reasonable, those are two fairly complicated hurdles. But if they are able to adequately explain what they would accept and they confirm that they would lower their confidence, then you can move into giving them that evidence and then exploring it with them. Mm. But what tends to happen is you you don't usually get there, especially on these supernatural beliefs. Yeah. What it <laughs> These supernatural beliefs are n- almost never based on evidence. They're based on faith. Yes. So try, always try to turn it back into faith so that he well, can understand that. His... You, you don't want to turn it back to faith if that's not where they're going. You always want to go where they take you. But my point is, even though somebody says they, that they're basing their beliefs on, a belief on evidence, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the case. They may, they may think that it is. But a few questions could reveal that they are not basing their belief on evidence at all. Well, this is why it's so wonderful that you're doing workshops and getting people to um, be able to be leaders of, of workshops so that they can go ahead and teach other people. Because at the beginning, even though a person may be familiar with, with Peter's book, it's a struggle. And I'm, I think you, you confirm this. It's a struggle right at first because you don't have the experience of having those secondary questions available to you you're forming them so do, do you how long did it take you once you started this and I if I'm if I'm correct I think it was somewhere in 2014 or the beginning of 2015 what, what did you do to uh, to arm yourself to be able to to meet some of those questions in a in a better way than than you did when you started. That's a long involved question, but I think, oh no, I've, I followed it. Yeah, uh, so I, I started in December of 2012. I think that was oh, right okay. around oh, the time that Bogosian's book that. came out. Okay. and there were a few examples in the book of exchanges that he had had. They were written, and then they ended far too soon. And sort of, I was left hanging, like, well, what happens next? Where do you go? And there weren't any video examples. And that's when I started going out and having these talks. And uh, so, like, in early 2013, I would go out and talk to street preachers, which was probably the worst type of person that I can go to talk to. I thought it it would be a good person to talk to, but um, they're so closed. Anyways, you really get a sense for where these conversations can head and the types of questions you might want to ask. By just practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the time, there weren't really a lot of videos. Today, there are probably a thousand street epistemology examples on YouTube. They're not, and they're not all mine. In fact, we have a playlist. If you go to tinyurl.com forward slash SE latest releases, you'll see a playlist of, it's a rolling playlist, so you'll see the freshest SE content from all sorts of people. But you just kind of get a hang of it. You know, as long as you remind yourself, don't argue Try not to present facts unless you're sure that they're basing their beliefs on facts. And if I get stuck, I'll ask something like, uh, what do you mean by that? Or can you go back and explain what you meant by that before? So, And then sort of following that what, why, how pattern, you tend to drive down to the foundation and you avoid the arguments and the ridicule. 
And generally, both of you get a better sense of the process that they've used to arrive at their conclusion. Perfect. And I got, I got to step in here and ask another question because you, mm-hmm. you, you kind of talked about this very briefly. There is a time to walk away. And I think that's a, that's, there's, there's a, there's a, a lot of us have a tendency to just keep on the conversation until the, hopefully the person comes to your side. But you, you, <laughs> you, have a tendency, you know when to walk away in these conversations. So what would you recommend people do? Well, I think I know, but sometimes I misjudge it. So sometimes we have a really good talk. They start to express some doubt. Uh, there's some uh, ceiling spider moments where they're looking up at the ceiling and they're contemplating and there's these long pauses. And then maybe we get off on a completely different topic. And then the profundity of the previous conversation gets lost in the, in the, in the newest topic. Yeah. Um, so that's, that, sometimes that happens. I try to end it on a, on a powerful moment where they say, well, I guess when it comes down to it, I don't care. Or... You know, when when it comes down to it, yeah, I guess I'm basing this on an unreliable process. I wish I had evidence, but I guess I don't. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much for your time. I try to end it on a high point so that they can think about it later and it resonates with them. Now, there are some times where it's obvious from the start, like, this person isn't listening. They're in transmit mode. They're not in listen mode. They are maybe preaching yeah. or they want to save my soul. Or they're so wrapped up on my view that they're not even taking the time to focus on their own method. Maybe they, perhaps they even view truth as subjective. So that's a huge hurdle. It doesn't really make sense to examine a belief claim if they think everybody can have their own truth, for example. Sometimes people will say, listen, I would harm myself or other people if I discovered that this belief wasn't true. And if they mean it, end the talk. I think I wrote a a blog post on when to abstain from street epistemology. If you search for that on Google, you'll probably find it, where I give a whole bunch of different scenarios where it might actually make sense to just bail on the conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't understand that, especially if the guy says, yeah, if I found out there was no God, I would start mm-hmm. pillaging and killing and raping. <laughs> you have to be careful with that one because they might be serious, but also sometimes I think people say that because they've heard other people say it and they don't really mean it. No, no. And it no. might be a defensive mechanism to prevent their belief from being questioned. So sometimes you have to you have to gingerly proceed, but be willing to back out if it seems like they're really serious about what they're saying. I, I, I personally think that most Christians and most atheists are actually much closer to atheism than they realize. Uh, I think I think they're just going through the motion half the time, right? Uh, they never really gave it much thought, and they don't want to give it much thought. That's been my experience. I, I've met so many people of all ages, and it's it's really sad when I meet somebody who's in their 80s, and they say, this is the first time somebody's questioned me why I think that this is true, and how did I determine that this is true? Mm-hmm. And that's a sad thing. That that really does sadden me that, that so few people slow down to think about the steps they use to arrive at their conclusions, which is what SE is all about. Yeah, exactly. But now you've you've been doing uh, Peter Bogosian's uh, techniques for, for a while now. Um, so maybe it's time to think, have you put your spin on things? Do you think there are some things about Peter's technique that need to be improved? Or have some things you've improved yourself or come up with better results? Would you mm. write a second version of the book if you could? Wow, that's a good question. So I do think that we've really, and this isn't just me going out and having talks, and and, uh, most of the people who use SE are not filming their talks. We have a community on Facebook with almost 5,000 people Mm -hmm. 
who are practicing and learning this and sharing what works and what doesn't. So many of the things in the book, I think, uh, I, 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 I probably wouldn't recommend these days. Like, for example, I know Peter has some pretty strong views on what the word faith means. Yeah. It's either believing without evidence or pretending to know what you don't know. When I have a talk, I don't say, hey, uh, do you believe in God? And they say, yes, I, it's, it's all based on faith. And then I say, oh, here's the definitions of what you mean by that word. Let's proceed. No, we're very careful these days to ask a person what they mean by that definition. And we want to accept their definition and not misrepresent it. So that, that might be just one example of probably several that I can mention or think about that. I think we have come a very long way since the book. And I would imagine Peter would probably agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I, I kind of get a, get to put the image that, you know, with Peter, it's a bit like Peter inventing a car. You took it out for a test drive. Now, you can, you can kind of know the bugs in and out of saying, you know, oh, this, this transmission worked, but it's underpowered here. <laughs> right. Don't press that button. Don't press, Don't that, press button. that button. That's the eject seat, yeah. you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good metaphor. And uh, and there are all sorts of people who are, who are you know, taking the plans that Bogosian developed and putting them into practice. And then we what's really neat, though, is, is seeing the community kick the tires, so to speak, on, on the car and 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 sharing what's working and what's not and, and what's really neat I, even Bogosian himself I was tweeting him links to some of my early videos back in 2013 and he would give me advice like hey you need to slow down you're going way too fast or try to model the behavior that you want your interlocutor to to display to you so I was getting feedback from the man himself as well as the community and then also my own you know my own experience going out there uh, I'm I'm somewhat optimistic that, you know, in, in another five or six years, we may b- look back and just marvel at how far we've come with the methods since you know since where we're at right now. So you think one day you'll go back to Peter Bogosian and say, uh, a bit like a Darth Vader esque? We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. No, just kidding. <laughs> well, it's funny because Peter and I have really become friends. Uh, he and he asked me to help out with his his app Atheos. Yes, I was uh, one of the. I think I guess my title was content manager and and helping to come up with uh, a lot of the content that's in there. Not all of it, but uh, helping out with that. Um, I believe he's in the process of writing another book. You were at you were you were sort of asking about like a street epistemology 2.0. I think he's writing that book based on what oh. he's observing from all the conversations that people are having, and, and uh, uh, he's been kind enough to send me a few chapters to review. So um, I'm optimistic. Like I, I think he he's he's really excited about where SE is going, and and it seems like he's probably in the process of coming out with some sort of update, did I would he, think. I think he would probably be a wonderful person to collaborate with because he's so kind, he's so generous, oh, and he's, he's so open-minded, nice yeah. you know, to other points of view. He, you know, he wants to improve his way of thinking and to, um, to be around other people like you that are able to give so much input from your experience. I'm sure he values both your friendship and, and your, your methods that, that you've been using. So 
it's good that the two of you have become friends and collaborators. We think we think a lot of Peter here. Oh, yeah. We really, mm. yeah, he's we, been nothing but we kind. Enjoy, of us. We yeah. enjoy his company a lot. Yeah, yeah, he he is a very kind man. I've had the opportunity to to hang out with him a couple of times, and he's allowed me to to sleep in his home when I was passing through Portland and that type of thing. And and he's become a good close friend. Yeah, yeah he's great. So uh, mm. Anthony, in conclusion, there for for somebody like Dominic here, who's a young man and he's starting on his road to to bigger, better things in life. What what piece of advice would you give him? Oh man, just keep asking questions and and don't I think young people might have a tendency to defer to authority simply because they're an authority or they're older. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a way that you can go through life questioning people in a respectful way and in the end uh, basically end up helping them. You can be helping yourself as well as helping them just by simply asking questions, not pointing out that you think that they're wrong, but simply asking how did you determine that you're correct? And I think if you go through life with these tools, particularly the, these tools of street epistemology, I think you'll honestly have a leg up on many of your many of your um, your colleagues and peers. Yeah. If if you go through and just start asking questions and be open to believing what they believe, even though the claim may be far fetched and fantastical, it's conceivable that they did base that view on a solid justification and a solid foundation. So um, try not to be so skeptical that you become cynical, yeah, I guess would be so. some of my additional advice for yeah, you. I, I think what you're saying, too, is the less threatening you are, the more valuable information you get back. Yeah, yeah. And, mm. and you're quite correct. Kids, after all, uh, his age, they're taught most of their life, at their young life, to listen to the teacher and, you know, be quiet, sit down and take the lesson in. So to mm-hmm. be able to teach them to be respectful, but to challenge respectfully maybe some of the beliefs of other people is not a bad skill at all. There, the other thing, too, you have to be really careful of, Dominic, is it's great to ask questions and it's great to challenge people, but there's a fine line between becoming condescending. Mm-hmm. So just be just be careful that you're not rubbing people the wrong way by asking these questions, but that, you're, that you are doing it with an air of sincerity and a willingness to change your mind if they're correct. Fantastic. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us today uh, and uh, helping us explain all this to our audience. But the mic is all yours, my friend. Be shameless. Plug yourself. Let us know what you, where can people find you and people want to ask questions. Anything you're doing up, uh, coming up, uh, any projects you got working on or anything like that? Okay, sure. Well, thank you so much for inviting me on your show, Kevin, Nancy, Christian, Kirsten, Dominic. Uh, really nice to be hanging out with you today. Oh, I've got so many irons in the fire. It's incredible. I'm, I'm, writing, a, I'm writing a toolkit to help American atheists uh, have so that they can post some some literature on their website to have better, more effective conversations. I'm uh, I'm planning a blog post to address some common criticisms that we see over and over and over again. Even though we keep explaining that these really aren't problems, we see a lot of apologists who are worried about this method. So I'm I'm planning to write a blog post on that. Uh, what else are we doing? We've uh, We've just <laughs> got so many things going on. I've actually kind of limited my travel just so I can focus on some of these other projects that are coming up. Uh, Bogosian is writing the book, like I mentioned. I've been I've been proofreading some of the things that he's got going on, and I really just want to keep getting out there and having more talks. What I really hope to keep doing is encouraging other people to go out and, and create content. 
Yes, you don't have to initiate these talks with a camera, but if you are interested in doing that, we have a vibrant community of community of content SE content creators who are doing that. We'd love to have you come out and put your own unique spin on it and help us develop this method. You can find me. I'm very active on Twitter at Magna Bosco. My YouTube channel is Magna Bosco 210, as well as a public Facebook page, Magna Bosco 210. And I just launched an Instagram channel, I guess you call it, an Instagram with the same handle, Magna Bosco 210. I'm very accessible. I'd love to hear your questions, your comments, your criticisms. And thank you so much for giving me the chance to talk about it. Fantastic. Anthony, before I let you, I got to have you say, hi, I'm Anthony Magna Bosco, and I took a left to the valley. Hi, I'm Anthony Magna Bosco, and I took a left at the valley. You sure you didn't get lost at the valley? <laughs> <laughs> and that was Anthony Magna Bosco. What a great conversation. Absolutely. Great Speaking of conversation, what he is doing is so tough. Because when you're talking with another another person about things like faith and you're trying to get mm-hmm, them to change, mm-hmm. your, change their mind, to keep your views out of it and listen and just ask questions takes enormous uh, skill and yes. experience yes. to be able to have the conversation go on, on a pathway that doesn't become confrontational yeah. and you get the information that that person needs in order to change. I will say, I will say that the story stuff anthony does and i will call him an unsung hero yeah because you know the the fact that he's actually going out there and talking to middle america normal people mm-hmm. and he's not badgering them you know a guy like richard dawkins is well known but as soon as they richard dawkins says something although he's quite right and everything theists will put their shields up anthony is disarming these people one at a time yeah. and i think he's doing a great great job and yeah. he, he might turn out to have more impact doing what he's doing than a big guy or big name like richard dawkins yeah i, I really respect him he's such a nurturing yes, person yes. and he's so I willing to share and he's so willing to I share i just want to buy him ideas. a beer right now yeah. <laughs> anthony let's go for a beer there you go yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh that was fantastic. It was, it was. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Yeah, excellent guest. Yeah. I'm I'm too likely to just call people idiots. <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm I'm working on it, and I must admit, sometimes on when I'm on Facebook and like that, I right away jump into you're such. A okay, man. no, but I actually a while ago was talking to my mom about younger like evolution, and I actually called her an idiot. But it's well, so it's so it's easy to ask mom. It's easy to ask the first question, but to have that second question ready. The way he did with the jury oh. question—that's where—that's where my that, fault. And this is your homework now. Now you need yeah. to go back to I your know. mom and ask her the how and I the know. why. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us on the show, and thank you for listening. And thank you, Dominic, for joining us. Absolutely. Hope we, hope we get to see you again. Yeah. Come back, Dominic. We'll make anytime. him come back. You can join us. At, uh, you can follow us at leftandvalley.com. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter at LATV Podcast. Send us an email at leftandvalley at outlook.com. Give us a five-star review, whatever you find us. It really helps us, and it helps people find the show. Yes. All right, coming up. What do we got coming up here? 
Uh, we'll be talking to Michael Sparks. Oh, Woo! Michael Sparks. <laughs> about politics. So that's going to yes. be an interesting show. I want to be here. Somewhere in there, we have a conversation <laughs> with Eli Bosnick, and we also have a conversation with uh, Stephen Woodworth of uh, Rationality Rules. Yeah. And at the end of the month, we'll be talking to Godless Cranium, and we'll also be talking to another YouTuber, Godless Engineer. We're just doing uh, all the YouTubers. And we're doing a whole bunch of people. Sure. Uh, we're busy. We're always busy. Take them down <laughs> one by one. <laughs> I'm always busy. I'm always, it's almost a full-time job just doing this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like I have more time. Best part of the week, though, isn't it, Kevin? It, it is. is. It, it is. is absolutely the best part of our it week. It truly makes my weekend is this little show. It does. And you know what? With all the stuff and all the people we've interviewed, I wouldn't change it. No. My life would be completely different if this little show hadn't happened. Oh, my Anyway, gosh. enough about all this. Guys, go out there, enjoy the sun. Or if you don't like the sun, stay inside and watch Harry Potter. Uh, <laughs> may I just say, if you don't have AC, I feel sorry for you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Fair we enough. Don't have <laughs> Until next time, guys. In the meantime, we'll play interlude music. Or we could just play. I don't know where you listen to interlude music. You always come up with some kind of 1970s sitcom. You! Or you come up with some kind of game show jingle. I'm literally just creating my own music. This isn't something I've heard. You should play the Jeopardy music just out through this. Well, last time, this is pretty much what she was doing. She was almost doing Jeopardy. I'm recording all this, you know? <laughs> of course. Of course. That's okay, so Jeopardy, Anthony, I watched Anthony a lot is, as a kid. Anthony has decided to run away at this time. He's not even <laughs> sure, searching for that camera. He's just running away. He's like, stay with these crazy. Uh, He's the system is broke down, working backwards in the only action of tactic. I plan to practice now is to attack them. The parties of God's hands are bloodstained. Millions of murders by believers, and they're all in God's name. And let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful. That many atheists are told to be quiet, you're not alone. Speak your mind, time to let it be known. A non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an